girlfriends, I'm Holly Sexton, and this is the Boss Lady Coaching Podcast. You found us and you're listening, so that tells me you're someone who cares about the big picture. You care about making an impact and you care about the future. If that's you, then you're in the right place. Today's episode is titled, Why Don't You Get a Job? Megan and I met up with Dr. Danielle Lovell and Julia Springsteen to talk poverty in the Commonwealth, how it affects everyone in our community, and what we can do to improve lives for children and families in Kentucky. It's a wild and wooly ride, so listen and then do something. Thank you to our sponsor, Fort Knox Federal Credit Union, people helping people. Thanks for listening and share. At Fort Knox Federal Credit Union, we've got your back through all of life's biggest moments. Like when your daughter looks in the mirror at the bridal shop and says, This is the one. When you walk through a home that you want to make your own. This is the one. Or when he tours the campus for the first time. This is the one. Fort Knox Federal Credit Union has money to lend for each of life's precious moments with low-rate loans for every celebration. Stop by a branch or visit fortknoxfcu.org for more information. Equal Opportunity Lender. So I, I grew up on the Allegheny Indian Reservation in western New York State, and our levels of poverty at that time were quite high. So I was a child who grew up in poverty, and I lived the experience, and then I had mentors that that really worked with me throughout, um, whether it was grade school, into high school, then when I got to college, that showed me how I can actually do actual work and impact this problem at a a very real level. And so um, when I came to Kentucky, I knew that this was an area that I wanted to continue working in. I've been previously working in community development, um, looking at um, issues of poverty in the Mississippi Delta, which frequently um, really competes with Eastern Kentucky and then the Navajo reservations out West for one, two, and three in terms of the highest level of poverty in the United States. Uh, And so I was coming from, you know, one place that experienced really high level poverty to Kentucky where we also have a similar experience. And so for the last 10 years here, I've I've been involved in all sorts of initiatives, but in the last year and a half, Myself and uh, Julia Springsteen have been co-chairing a work group um, across the Lincoln Trail region. Megan Stith was the uh, co-chair with me until she abandoned me. Um, <laughs> Sorry, but you're, doing doing you're doing way better. So. <laughs> um, and and the, the way that we can bring a subcommittee together to address these issues across the Lincoln Trail region. And so what I want to do first with this is just kind of set the stage for folks of what what it is directly that we're talking about when we're thinking about how do we alleviate poverty. Um, in, in 2018, with the census, uh, we have about a 17.2% poverty rate, um, and that's ranked fifth poorest in the nation. I don't think a lot of people recognize that about our state, that, that we are ranked um, fairly high in terms of uh, just the sheer number of people in poverty. And in that level of income is about $24,860 for a family of four, which means that's about two minimum wage jobs, okay? Um, And the raw number though, you know, 17.2% can mask a lot, but what we're really talking about is a little over 744,000 Kentuckians that are living at or below that poverty level of either of about $24,000 for a family of four or $12,000 for um, an individual. One of the things about this level of poverty that a lot of people don't recognize are 
our our um, unemployment rate right now is about 4.8% in Kentucky, which is great, right? It's a very low um, unemployment rate. However, again, we still have 744,000 people living in poverty in Kentucky. You would think that as our unemployment rate, you know, lowered, that also we would see, you know, a pretty significant decrease in our um, poverty rates. But we don't see that because wages are oftentimes stagnant across the state or people are underemployed, meaning that they cannot get jobs that will sufficiently meet what their needs are, their living costs are in their area. Um, median income in Kentucky is about $46,000, which means half of our population make more than $46,000 and half of our population makes less than $46,000. Oftentimes we see the averages kind of, you know, thrown out there. Average in Kentucky is about $63,000. Well, we know averages can be skewed, right, by those really high income earners, but the median is the much more stable look at at where we really are in terms of income in Kentucky. Um, and, and those who are working, um, who are the working poor, which is a large portion of those 744,000 people, um, they fall into this really odd space that we call the cliff effect. And this means that the, as they increase in wages, um, and we're not talking about large increases, we're talking about 50 cents an hour, right, something like that, they are no longer eligible for the very help that they need in order to keep them working. Um, things like health care, child care subsidies. If, you know, your child care bill is going to be $600 to $800 a month and you make $1,200, and if you make $1,301, you lose your child care subsidy, you can no longer afford to work. Right, um, and so we call this the cliff effect, and and so that very abstract answer can kind of you know be really difficult for people to wrap their heads around. But I have an example from just this last week that I worked with a client on uh, right here in Hardin County, just living this cliff effect. So if, if you guys are okay with it, I'm going to kind of run through yeah, yeah. what was going on with this <laughs> this client this week. Um, You're here to learn. Okay, today. great. So. I don't want to bore anyone. You know, my lectures, you know, my students tell me I'm pretty, you know. Well, they pay to be there. They do. So. Well, <laughs> you're getting this for free, everybody. Yeah, you're getting this for free, right? Everybody's going to get their sociology degree But they say, you know, they say I'm really energetic and everything, but the problem with doing a podcast or radio is no one can see my face and my facial expressions and all the ways that I try to communicate with people. But they so can this is so much harder. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. All right. So the person I'm working with, they have chronic health issues. Um, they're young, but they also they've been diagnosed very early with rheumatoid arthritis. And if any of you have dealt with rheumatoid arthritis or family members that do, you know this can be a very dehabilitating disease. And so there's a lot of doctor's appointments that go along with that. There are medications that go along with it. Um, and so having, you know, really good access to health insurance is vital for this individual, okay? So they have to have health insurance in order to work, plain and simple. Um, and it has to be affordable. So they have a high school diploma. They are currently at ECTC working on their associates because they know that they need further training in order to um, kind of move up and make more income. Um, and according to our guidelines in Kentucky, uh, they can make no more than $1,364 a month in order to receive the state subsidized Medicaid, okay? And so the last six months, they've been working with a local manufacturer through a temp agency. Uh, they made below that 1364 so they could still maintain the health insurance, which without, they literally can't work because they have to have these medications to keep the rheumatoid arth arthritis kind of in check, um, plus there's some other health issues that are going on with this individual. 
Um, but for six months, because of the health insurance, they haven't missed a single day of work. They have been on time, they've been a good employee, and the company recognized this and took them from TEP agency status and, and hired them as a full-time employee at this manufacturer. That came with health benefits, with a matching 401k, and you wouldn't believe the pride that this individual had that they could achieve that. Okay, this, that's a huge, huge over, um, undertaking for a lot of people. It was a big day. So they were so excited, they were so proud of themselves, and the person brought me their insurance packet so I could go through their options with them because they'd never been able to choose a health plan before. This is the first time in their life. And, you know, when we've all gotten our health plan information, it is a stack of information. You, you, it's no joke to go through that stuff. No, it's scary, too, because you've got these three different plans, and you got to figure out, well, what is a copay, and what does this do, and what is the, you know, how much is this A plan going to pay versus B plan versus C plan? And so I said, bring it to me. We're going to sit down, and we're going to figure it out. And so this is what we found. Um, the plan that was most similar to what they currently get through the state of Kentucky is $300 a month, okay? Their wages by going full-time only went up $350 a month, okay? Now you might say, well, they can cover that. But once we started factoring in the new co-pays that they have because of, their, because of this health insurance plan with the medications and the monthly um, and sometimes you know, every six to eight week appointments they have to have with their doctors, it eats up every bit of that $350, then some, and then some on top of that. So they're working more hours. They're working, they're getting a better income, right? right. But now their insurance what's going to cost them in insurance and co-pays and all of that eats everything, all of the gains that they just made. A lot of my students call this hustling backwards. It's so, a great term for that. Right? It is. It's hustling <laughs> yeah. backwards. It's more expensive than the way they were living. Yeah. Exactly. So we're like, okay, well, I, you know, having the resources I do, I said, okay, I know we can apply for you to purchase an insurance plan through the state of Kentucky through Medicaid. We can do passport or, or something like that where you can purchase it. So we, so we get all excited about that. We're like, okay, maybe we can figure out this. Well, when we call them, we find out that getting a new job and your wage increases um, aren't considered special circumstances, so they have to wait till open enrollment, and they won't even tell us what the rates are going to be for this person once open enrollment rolls around to know if they're gonna be able to get a cheaper rate through the Kentucky plan versus what they're currently looking at with their employer. But they tell us, but hang on, you can apply for, and I'm going to look at this, the Kentucky, um, let's see here, what is this, sorry, oh, the Kentucky Health Insurance Premium Program, and they said this would subsidize part of the premium that their employer has through their insurance, it help them pay for that, right? So we got all excited, and we're like, yes, okay, so this is going to be great. They're only making $650, or $1,650 a month, surely they will qualify to get some help with this premium. We go through the entire process, all of the paperwork, filling that out, and they missed it by $45. Oh my God. $45 was the, the miss, the, the miss. I'm taking deep breaths. I right? Know. Over here. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, we look at, then we're like, okay, well now we have gone through this official process of reporting her, the new income, which means we've told the state that sh this person is making more money, which means they're now saying, okay, well, now that we know that you're making more money, we're gonna cut you off the state insurance on July 1. 
So <laughs> we don't have the new insurance in place, right? Now state insurance is gonna be cut off July 1, and this individual really starts panicking because again, now it's back to, okay, how can we make the health insurance plan through the company work? And you're laughing because it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah, there's nothing it's like not funny, funny about it. Like, yeah. It's just, yeah, it's What if insane. they didn't have you to help figure this out, too? I mean, it's this language of the middle class. They'd that we find out a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. Basically. <laughs> well, and that's what I was saying through this entire process. I have a PhD, right? I consider myself a fairly intelligent person. And the number of times that I was frustrated, I was mad. I was saying some things I probably shouldn't have said, you know, my temper and blood pressure rising. Um, You know, that was me. And I have all these resources that I can reach out to and say, hey, what is going on? Let alone someone who has never done anything like this before. And if they didn't have someone advocating for them, oh my goodness, they probably, I don't know if they would have made well, it to that point. And there's so many people up. who don't have people advocating for right. them in this too. I mean, and that's part of, I mean, that's why 40% of our workforce is not looking for a job. Right. Because they will run into this if they haven't already. Right. You give up when you run into those walls. Yeah. Because, you know, it's, it, it's not just healthcare. We're talking about one of the issues yeah, that they're facing. Right. Many, many <laughs> so yeah. the more you hit these walls, it's easy to see why people say, well, why bother when it's ultimately not going to get me anywhere? I'm just going to mm-hmm. keep running into these problems and not mm-hmm. feel like they can overcome them. And this is what this is what this individual is saying at one point. And it's not the first time I've heard it. I, this is just one story with one client I was helping this week. I've heard this multiple times. They've said, well, you know, I just don't know that I can afford to take this pay increase. <laughs> this is what we're talking about with the cliff effect. It's confusing, it's maddening, and the logic behind these arbitrary cutoffs is, is ridiculous, is what it boils down to. So one of the things that we have to do is that we have to look to local, state, and federal leaders, our, you know, our business community sector, our chamber of commerce, whoever we've got at the table to look at policies and public policies that are going to help change that in Kentucky. And that's kind of where Julia comes in with what she's going to kind of share um, some of what she's been finding on this as we try to wrap our head around how do we even begin to impact this very tangled web, right? Right, and and really to back up a little bit, um, Danielle and I are focused on this as, this is probably a good time to see to explain why we're even doing this, because um, I didn't do that earlier. <laughs> so uh, the Workforce Crisis Task Force, um, the name I never get right the first time, um, we are co-chairs of the subcommittee, the Removing Obstacles Subcommittee. And so we are tasked with looking at the obstacles that keep people from working, such as this, the cliff effect, um, which well, frankly, like we just said, makes people just not want to work because it takes away their child care subsidies, their food subsidies, everything that they need to actually live. Um, and to that end, I mean, there's there's definitely some policy. There's a lot of policy and communicating that needs to happen, um, policy changes that one of the things that just came out today, actually, excuse my really, really deep voice this week, um, my cold. Um, but federally, the administration is looking at changing the way they're going to determine uh, who gets medical, food, child care, and other forms of assistance, um, the official poverty measure. Uh, it's based on economic indicators, and I'm not going to go into that 
in gory detail right now, but um, oh, why not? Oh, I'm curious <laughs> what what the indicators are. Oh, y'all. Okay, so um, <laughs> but um, they want to start calculating poverty using a measure of inflation known as the Chained Consumer Price Index for all urban consumers, or Chained CPIU, and that grows slower than the one that they currently use. Um, which is just the CP, the I guess the unchained, unchained melody, unchained CPIU, um, and so this change would gradually um, cut the benefits that Kentuckians receive. And this article, this great article on the from the Kentucky Center for Economic Policy, explains it in great detail. Um, just basically, it won't would not be a dramatic cut like people would expect. And sometimes it's you know death by a thousand cuts really that hurts the worst. It's just gradually more um, tens of thousands of low income and disabled Kentuckians, including older Kentuckians and children, would either lose their assistance or see the amount of assistance shrink over time if this indicator was used to determine eligibility. And again, the cutoff we're talking about for an individual is thirteen. $164. Yeah, it's a it's a more fine fine line to begin with. Yes. Um, you know, and we talk about raising the minimum wage, but that still won't get people that'll put them above the above the levels, but it won't be enough for them to live on that still. Um, and so the some of the data in here, I mean, in, you know, Medicaid coverage, SNAP, WIC, um, school breakfast and school lunch programs. Um, so like right now, Morningside, for example, elementary where my kids go, everybody gets free lunch. Um, they just they had a big enough percentage to where they could do that. So if they change this, it'll go back to paying for lunch. And a lot of school districts will have the same problem, is they'll have to recalculate that, I would assume. Um, but they'll have to do it over time, so it will gradually eat back up. And the argument I hear to that is, well, what about organizations like Feeding America, Kentucky's Heartland, who absorb that kind of thing? And, and I've heard it over and over again. It's like, well, let's scatter that to a nonprofit that's already doing that kind of thing and let them fill in with the backpack program. But they're still not feeding kids in school. Right. That's outside of school. Yeah, I mean, that, that's outside of school. I mean, the backpack program is what they take home on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you still have hungry kids, and that's still not enough. And, I mean, we're paying taxes for these things. So why shouldn't my tax money, and I don't know if this will stay in or not, why shouldn't my tax money go to feed children? Mm -hmm. And educate children. And educate children. I mean, that's part of it. You can't educate a starving child. Mm -hmm. So And provide health care. Yeah, and provide health care and provide, you know, vaccines and everything like that. And so, I mean, please use my tax money mm-hmm. for what it's supposed to be used for instead of putting it on yet another nonprofit. I mean, I mean, Megan certainly is aware of everything that has been, oh, United Way can do that. Don't worry. <laughs> sure. They'll cure cancer next week. It'll be fine. <laughs> we got it. You know, y'all got it. And so, you know, and the same thing, I mean, even the, the animal shelter nonprofit that I helped with, I mean, everybody thought we were going to spay and neuter the whole world and like well we can only do what we can do you know i mean so it's not i have a list of folks if you oh yeah no but i mean the nonprofits (laughs) will nonprofits will help save a lot of things Mm -hmm. but they're not going to save they're not going to cure this and when you say these are basic things education health care food safety i think those are basic things Mm -hmm. yeah but even though it seems that way it's harder for us to all agree it seems on things that seem like it should be that simple and basic and it's a tough time now where I I wish we could be more united in saying there's got to be a better way and having some just common sense to look at these situations of like a $45 
cut off? Like, what's the appeal process for that? Or what's the, is, is there a way to make less bureaucracy and more acknowledging the humanness that's at play here and being able to look at these individual situations and not just, and I think the, the term cliff effect is perfect because that's really what it is. It's just this, well, here you go, you drop right off. And what's the plan to, instead of just pulling the rug out from under people, what really makes sense? And and that's why I'm really passionate about employment and what can we do to remove barriers to employment because the thing that binds together healthcare and childcare and food, it's people's ability to buy those things for themselves. And the best way to be able to do that is to help them earn a greater wage and to make 200 plus percent of poverty uh, in order to be off that assistance. But we've got to focus on how we make employment affordable accessible and how we can make it make sense for families so that we can tap into the motivation to work is is a very basic thing Mm -hmm. and I think we assume that oh if you're in poverty you're just lazy living in poverty takes a ton of work Mm -hmm. (laughs) it takes a lot of time it takes a lot of effort Mm -hmm. and you ladies have seen this in the poverty simulation that you recently did we've we've got to get over that mindset that being poor equals lazy and recognize the value and the power of work and figure out what we can do to tap into people's potential to be productive and engage in the workplace and figure out what it's going to take to get them there. Well, and you wonder how, I mean, um, so what is, what is, you almost wonder what, so what's the role in business, in business of this? I mean, they're hurting for workers. So if they better understand the cliff effect, I mean, they're trying, we've heard story after story of these, of these bosses and managers, like I tried to give them a raise. I tried to give them a promotion. I offered extra training and nobody takes me up on it. And, but they don't, they're not getting that piece. And that's why we put on the poverty simulation and focus specifically on policymakers and employers um, because they weren't getting that second piece of it, of, of the why behind it, because the, the employees weren't stopping to explain it. I mean, it's not their business to explain it. I mean, right. if you want employees, if you want to keep employees, you need to understand the full picture. And so I think I think putting on this poverty simulation, which, like I said, we um, we invited uh, policymakers, we invited state and uh, state, local, um, and actually in federal, we had um, Brian Smith from Brett Guthrie's office was was great to come, mm-hmm. and um, and we had a great group that went through it, and you know the the comments that we got afterward was was exactly you know the one about time. It's like, I'm offering these training classes, and now I know why they're not here. You know, besides the fact that they can't afford to get a raise, they don't have time. They're in line over there, you know, or they have a broken down car, their car, you know, or anything. All the appointments you have to have to keep your benefits. Yeah. People don't realize how many, you have to have constant appointments just to keep the the benefits that you have. And then the government cuts the money to those um, agencies, and so they cut their hours and their staff, and so they're hardly ever open, or they're only open when these people are trying to work. And there's no way for them to get there, um, and so it's just this circular nightmare. Yeah. Um, but I think I think helping businesses understand it better, helping employers understand it better, to where they know the problems their potential employees face. I mean, they're going to have to be our voice to the policymakers. Um, it's we're not trying to just hand out money and food to everybody. We're trying to get people to work for businesses. Yeah. 
what's an example of some, say Brian Smith? Mm-hmm. What was he exposed to or what did he have to work out yeah. with his budget? So let me just back up a little bit for folks who aren't as familiar with what a po- poverty simulation is. So um, Community Action of Missouri actually started this years ago where they put together a kit of scenarios and you, um, in, in a large gymnasium sort of room, you set up all of the agencies that people would have to deal with on a regular basis if they were in need of some sort of benefit. So you have um, a table set up that it is your medical provider, healthcare provider. You have a table set up that is education. You have a table that's set up for you to get help for food, like SNAP. You have a table that is your police station. You have one that's your work area. You have, I mean, just so all of the different agencies in a community that a person would have to interface with in order to um, either access their benefits or to be able to get a work, go to work you know, the schools that their children are in, you know, those sorts of things. Um, And then people come in and they draw, we give them the scenario of their family. We put them in family groups. Some people are a family of four. Um, Some people come in and they're homeless. Uh, Some folks come in and they're two elderly people living together. And we give them a packet that says, this is your life scenario. This is how much money you make. This is, these are the bills you have. Um, These are, this is your job. Uh, This is the hours you have to work, Um, you know, and so everybody has a different scenario. And then in 20 minute segments, they have to look at their packet and kind of work out the problems in that packet. So um, let's say that they're, they've got to get up, go to work, their car is broken down, so they've got to get transportation, they got to get the kids to school. Um, But then the kid, you know, skips school and you're at work, the police pick up the kids and then you got to go get the kid from, you know, juvie or whatever it is, right? And and all of these things that can happen and get bound up and that, that can create this kind of snowball down the hill of one small thing happening really creating this this very um, convoluted situation for yourself, right? Well, the thing about poverty is that it's constantly an emergency. It is. It's constantly Mm -hmm. an emergency. And that's what this kit does, is it demonstrates uh, for people who maybe have not lived in poverty uh, what it is actually, uh, what these scenarios actually look like. We want to be very careful to say and not say to show them what it's like, because we're just giving them 20-minute snapshots of the scenarios. That's what we're doing. They're not experiencing the anxiety. Anxiety and the health problems and everything that goes along with right. the day-to-day life of living with that right. that anxiety. I don't know any other way sure. to say it. So we have kind of two cases that really stood out to me when we did the poverty simulation back in April here in Hardin County. Um, we brought together, as Julia said, leaders from across the eight counties, um, business leaders from across the eight counties, and uh, community action here in Hardin County was absolutely instrumental to getting this done. We could not have done this without their support, um, and so we can't thank them enough for it. But we, we did this, and so as, as we said, Brian, Smith from uh, Representative Brett Guthrie's office was there. And his scenario, he had uh, two kids and a spouse. Um, His car was stolen, so then he had to rely on like public transportation and filing the police report and Mm -hmm. dealing with the insurance company. He was already a, you know, uh, not, he didn't really have too terribly of of low wages, right? Um, But one of the things that he said was two things. Um, 
we think of people working paycheck to paycheck, but we don't think about what happens when the next paycheck doesn't come. He got fired from his job because he had what well, he'd been missing so much. Well, he'd been missing because he didn't have a car. Because he didn't have a car. Yeah. He couldn't get to work, so he he got too many points. Right. Mm-hmm. He got you know his job went away, um, and one of the things that he had to do was pawn his TV. Uh, in order to pay some of the bills that they were going to have, right? And he's got two um, children at home now. Teenagers. Teenagers that don't have a children, have have a TV or some way to entertain them in that way. And, And he was truly, really thinking about that. Wow, you know, what, I got two kids that are at home mad at me. I'm trying to deal with all of this. And it was, you could see um, through the videos that we have of the poverty simulation, the stress in his face of just the two hours that he was going through this. And, and he said that over and over again during this. The second one was another lady, um, and she was uh, in the video you know, we can um, make the link available so people can see what I'm talking about. <laughs> but they caught her um, when she was trying to pay some money over to one of the groups, but the group was shutting down and she got frustrated and she picked up her notebook and slammed it down. And you could just see all over her face the anger and the stress. Like snatching um, papers out of people's She was snatching <laughs> papers out of people's hands and people really at the end um, found it to be a very frustrating, uncomfortable experience, which is exactly what we wanted, right? That That's the whole intent. That was the goal. Yeah, the goal is not to make people comfortable. No, it was and, to make yeah. people uncomfortable. People go to the bank and cash their paychecks, and there was a lady designated as a thief, so she would walk by and grab their money. Mm-hmm. And so she would rob them right after they got paid. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then... Somebody else tried to rob somebody, rob her back, and got put in jail. Yes. Um, so. And, and was, I was, and the thing too. So I got to, I got to play the part of law enforcement that day, um, and you know, part of it with law enforcement, you know, something like your car getting stolen, it's stolen is absolutely, you know earth-shattering for you. Well, when it comes to our police departments that are dealing with so many issues across the community, you know, they're doing everything they can, so they assign a detective to it who opens a case, and it can take, what, weeks, um, if ever, to really be able to find your vehicle, and then you've got to deal with the insurance to be able to get the money off of it, and so it was frustrating for folks when they came to me to file their reports, and I'd say, okay, I'm going to assign an investigator to this and you know after you know seven to ten days call us and we'll get an update and you can have a copy of the report after this and it felt like to them I wasn't doing anything but I was doing what I could do right during the the lack of urgency the lack of Mm -hmm. urgency it was very frustrating for them in a scenario and so it really um, it opened their eyes a lot to um, you know, why maybe some of their employees come in and are a little short some days or, you know, why they're losing employees or why they're not taking them up on these offers of training after work. Um, you know, they've worked all day and then, hey, we've got another three hour training. Well, you know, they've got to go home because 
they can't afford, you know, to be one minute late picking up their kids from daycare if they're fortunate enough to have daycare mm-hmm. because you're charged, what, $10 a minute after 530, right? Well, that's if they have daycare. Yeah. If they have or daycare. they have to get home because somebody else from the house has to go to work. Exactly. For third shift or second shift. Or and and so this, this poverty simulation really was to, to kind of open that other window for a specific group of individuals. This was not... Um, we intentionally didn't open this to the community in a lot of ways um, because we wanted we wanted time with those two groups of people, employers and community leaders, for them to then talk afterwards about what do we do. Our nonprofit world, they do it every day. The warm blessings, the United Ways, the community actions, they're well versed in this, right? Yeah, that would have been, yeah. The, 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 there was... Community action was great in, yes. in rustling up um, all the volunteers that we needed it's for nice. every table. And because it takes about 50 volunteers, ideally you have about 80 people participating. We had fewer, but it still it got the point across to the people who we had because we were, we were very targeted and who we invited. And I think the impact was what we wanted. It was. Um, and so now we just have to continue to tell the story of right. that impact. And so some of this, you know, some of this, this what do we do, right? That's always the question. It seems so, like, well, what's yes. that? I shared it and we talked about it and somebody on my Facebook page, they were very upset and yeah. understanding, you know, they were, they weren't upset. They were frustrated yeah. and mm-hmm. they were expressing that and they're like, well, now what? Right. Right. What are you going to do to fix what this? What are you yeah. going to do now that they know or it's now that you to share. say, oh yeah, it's terrible to be in this situation. Sorry that. Why? <laughs> I know. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's not it's not an easy answer and it's not a short answer it's not an easy answer it's not a short answer it's not one bullet that's going to fix this and part of it is what what a lot of folks don't understand um, some of these programs are run by the state so we have to work with our state officials and our state agencies to convince them that, you know, maybe we need a sliding scale, right? Instead of, you know, saying the dead cutoff is $45, say, okay, if you're $45 over, we cover this percentage and we'll cover this percentage or, you know, and and make it more of a sliding scale, right? Okay, so we have state programs that we can work with in that way. And then one of the the things um, Representative Guthrie's office has been really good in is is talking with us about, uh, we might think it's straightforward with WIC and SNAP and you know well these are all quote-unquote welfare benefits so we just fix quote-unquote welfare well those are federal and those are federal programs Mm -hmm. but not only that all of these programs are housed in different eight federal agencies so one of them is USDA one of them might be you know there's so all of them are excuse me they're they're just all separated in different places and then in order to fix pieces of them they're attached to different types of legislation okay so it's not that you can create one omnibus bill that would fix all of this that would create that percentage or sliding Mm -hmm. scale you've got to work within the agencies and then you've got to get together what pieces of legislation would need to be amended or what they would need to create right Um, and it's it's just not as it's very tangled and very sticky and um, and you know, I but I, I feel like with the conversations we're having, um, there's there's a lot of opportunity to further those with leaders, um, both at the state and the federal level, because 
we know, I mean, again, our participate, our workforce participation rate in Kentucky um, is is not one of the good ones <laughs> across the U.S. They all have a vested interest in finding solutions, and part of it is going to be with employers. Part of it is going to be with helping to develop those who are going to go into the workforce better. But a lot of this is going to have to be hashed out in policy as well. There's nothing businesses can do about the, the cutoffs. That is policy and those are agencies. Well, they can lobby for they can changes. Lobby, but they can't change it themselves. No, they can't change it themselves, but they can also but they can definitely lobby for it and become aware of it and educate their different managers about it right. when they're considering hiring somebody, you know, from a temp basis to a full time and things like that and just take it to consideration. But we also are not looking at reinventing the wheel. I mean there's no. things being done in other states. I mean Kentucky is um, you know, usually the bottom in most rankings. Um, I mean, I don't think we're dead bottom in some of this, but um, there's some states that have removed the threshold to emergency subsidies. And so you don't have to have, you don't have to be, you know, meet their income level to get emergency few weeks or however long subsidy, Mm -hmm. um, which is a good thing. And so, and then other states are also looking at a a sliding scale if they haven't already implemented in some places um, um, for some of their state stuff. So Mm -hmm. even just looking at some of the legislation in other states and becoming aware of it more locally or, you know, from our, in in our region at least, um, could be a good start. And. And that's one thing that we wanted to do with this poverty simulation is, is kind of get figure out what we can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, because there's always something we can do, and it may not um, solve the whole problem. But you know, but definitely identifying what what has worked in other states would be a great start for our state legislators, certainly, um, because it's you know, it's not that hard to uh, take legislation from other states and just move it in. And, tweak it a little bit as we've seen on some bills yeah so um the numbers are already there the numbers are already there i mean and you know we already know we know some things that can be done Mm -hmm. um we just have to communicate it and get get people on board with it and get the business support honestly that we need Mm -hmm. to make these changes okay that's you expanded a little bit on what i was going to ask sorry so no no that's fantastic Mm -hmm. we're we're on the the same line of thought um for someone listening right now what can they do in their own little corner of the world I mean, if you own a business, if you manage a business, I mean, just educate yourself on different thresholds for different subsidies. I mean, ask your, talk to your employees. You know, has this ever impacted you? Does this impact somebody you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, find out some real stories because until you actually know some real stories, like what Danielle shares, you're you're not really going to get it. And you can you know paint it with a wide brush, in my opinion, but that doesn't. You need to understand the pain it causes individuals, frankly. Uh, on and some I think of this. a great way to educate yourself. Uh, this exact conversation is what we went through for years at United Way, trying to figure out poverty was our focus and trying to figure out how do we reduce poverty? Like there's a million different ways you can go about that. And one of the best things we did was our entire board read um, the book, Why Don't They Just Get a Job? Yes. By Leanne Phillips and her husband, who were the founders of Cincinnati Works, which is an organization that specializes 
in helping those who have multiple barriers to employment find and grow in their careers so they can ultimately live independent of government assistance. And we saw that, we went and visited and uh, spent time up there and read this book and it's available on Amazon. And if you are just interested in poverty, I've had the opportunity to read about poverty, work in the nonprofit field, and honestly, it was the best book I've ever read because it just answers that question of, well, here's why they're not just (laughs) working or just taking that promotion from a different perspective. And to go see what they were doing in Cincinnati and then come back to our community and figure out how do do we do that, even though we don't have like a multi-million dollar budget and, um, you know, we're here in Kentucky with different resources as opposed to Cincinnati. Um, Now we do have way to work in the community and that's an opportunity for businesses, volunteers, people in the community to get involved in a very similar model that's based on that approach from Cincinnati and uses the expertise of Goodwill to provide much more intensive case management services and really wrap around support to individuals who are making below 200% of poverty to get them to that level where they can live independently. And that's a really new effort that's only been operational for less than a year, but they've been able to help. Um, I won't say numbers because I don't have them in front of me and I don't want to estimate incorrectly, but I know amazing stories starting to come out of that program of folks that had convictions on records that they were able to find employers to to understand what this person had gone through and and gave them a chance and the fact that they've been able to um, you know increase the amount that they're earning be able to get benefits the success stories are just amazing and there are solutions but it takes everybody understanding that we have to do something and whether that's contacting a legislator or volunteering for a program um, starting by educating yourself we all have to take ownership of this because we're paying for it. Even if you want to just be selfish and uh, purely business and economic driven, we're paying for it as a community. Mm-hmm. Poverty costs all of us money. And even if you don't want to look at the human aspect of it, which is, um, in my opinion, more important, but you know, it is something that impacts all of us and we should be concerned. We need to be involved and I applaud folks like Danielle and Julia for what they're doing to spend a lot of time on this and be part of that solution. One of the things we we also have to do um, is we have to be willing to to talk to each other about these tough issues without devolving into accusations and ideologies and um, we, we have to be able to look at these and say, what is going to make sense for the 744,000 people in Kentucky that are living at or below the poverty line? What, what makes sense for the 22% of that 744,000 that are children? What makes sense for the elderly that are, are faced with these levels of poverty? Um, these are our neighbors. These are uh, people in our family. Um, these are our students in the classroom that Megan and I see. Um, these are your children's classmates. Uh, and we, this, this is a real community development problem in perspective, right? We, um, and as a community, we can think about what the solutions might look like and then ask our representatives 
to bring that forth. That is, um, in an idealistic world, how we're supposed to do things, right? Poverty should, hungry children should not be bipartisan, should not be a partisan issue. Right. Um, and so I just, um, this is, this is a tough one for me because I, I lived it. I see it on a weekly basis with a lot of the folks I work with in the community. Uh, and I close the door on that client that I might be at with at Warm Blessings. They go back out to their car in the parking lot because at that point they're homeless. And I go back home uh, to my house. And it's personal for me. At that point, it's personal. This is... This is um, this is too many people uh, in Kentucky that are facing these insecurities. And I want to see us have very real, very raw, very hard conversations about what our communities need um, in order to, to help people live their best life. The different pieces that we can look at, you know, look at the local things we can do look and then and then look at the business aspect of it and then let's look at the federal stuff we could do i mean it's just you take it piece by piece and you do a little bit and a little bit and then over time you will build some momentum and and some of these problems over time um will can get solved if people are willing to look at it and just take it in a process orderly kind of manner except this is a messy it's a messy problem yeah. that, you know, we need. But unfortunately, it takes an orderly way to look at it if you're going to change policy mm-hmm. and even company policies. Yes. I mean, it's you, you have to take it step by step or you can't um, implement lasting change. So I had a like professor um, when I was doing my master's degree, and, and I did my master's work in the Mississippi Delta, where, again, <laughs> the, the levels of poverty there are just insane in some ways um, but what what dr. John Green told me was that you're going to be building tracks for a train you may never ride and I've been doing this work for whew, 18 years now <laughs> in some way or another and projects that I started on in the Delta 18 years ago were starting to see some of the fruits of that labor I was involved in some of the very first work on those fruits. I was I was prepping, we use a farming analogy for, for Megan over here. You're planting seeds. We planted seeds. We planted yeah. seeds and now we're seeing outcomes and people have to be ready to be in it for the long haul uh, and that's that I wish I could snap my fingers. I wish I could take a bill to someone and say just pass this and this is what's going to solve everything but it doesn't work like that. Um, and, and that's heartbreaking in a lot of ways because it's people's very real lives we're, we're talking about here. Um, but, again, we just have to remember we really, we really may never ride that train, but someone will. And, and we've got to just keep at it no matter what. This Boss Lady Coaching Podcast episode is produced in part by Fort Knox Federal Credit Union people helping people. Visit fortknoxfcu.org. Enjoy free tools at bethebosscoaching.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Boss Lady Coaching. All podcast content is property of Megan Stiff, Holly Sexton, and podcast guests. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.